Well, welcome again to Abounding Love Podcast. My name is Dave Nelson. We are continuing on in our study through the book of Acts. And on this podcast, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 20. We will go ahead and try and go through the whole chapter on this podcast. So I invite you again to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And if you remember, the last time we were together, we finished up with Acts chapter 19, and we saw how there was a big uproar in the city of Ephesus that was all started by the local craftsmen. They felt that their livelihood was being jeopardized by the fact that people were turning to Jesus Christ. They made these shrines and these images of the goddess Diana, and the people that were turning to a relationship with Jesus wouldn't be spending money anymore on this kind of stuff. So when the people of Ephesus were worshiping Diana, it was their attempt to have a spiritual experience. That's what religion is. Religion demands works to experience something spiritual. Jesus put an end to all that. He unlocked the door of heaven and his blood was the key. All throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus and his disciples battling with the religious people that wanted them to do things their way. As Paul was spreading the gospel throughout the then known world, he faced times of rest and peace and times of great opposition. And tonight, we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, After the uproar had ceased... Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So here again, Paul finds out that the Jews are plotting against him. So he decides to alter his route and, and go a different direction. So many times as we've studied through the book of Acts, we've seen the plans of man get changed by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes things change due to persecution, and other times it was the result of something good happening. But if we have surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus, then we will be what the Bible says Spirit-led. Many walk through this life with no guidance. They feel that they can do things on their own, and when their plans are disrupted for one reason or another, they begin to then cry out to God. You know, we live in a fallen world, and bad things happen, but the Bible directs us to be heavenly-minded people, spirit-led people. And that's what's happening here in Paul's life. Things are changing. We see it throughout the whole book of Acts. You make, you make some plans in your life and you think you're going to do this or you think you're going to do that. But sometimes things happen and, and our plans get changed. But let's turn. Um, we're going to come back here. As always, we kind of jump around throughout the Bible. So let's turn to James chapter 4. This may be a familiar scripture to many of you. So turn toward the back of your Bible from where we are in Acts and turn to the book of James, James chapter 4. And we'll start reading in verse 13. Okay, so hopefully you're there. But it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend 
a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, none of us were born with the ability to live our lives by our own design. God has a plan for each one of us. You know, maybe I should take that back. You do have the ability to live your life by your own design, but it's not what God intends for you. Now, God has a plan for you. What does that mean? Does that mean that you have to be a missionary or you have to be a pastor or you have to work at a church or or do something like that? No, God will use you wherever you are. You hear me, you've probably heard me say this. I say it often. God uses butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers. In other words, wherever you are, whatever your vocation, wherever your, whatever neighborhood you live in, whatever your culture, whatever your surroundings, God wants to use you and he has a plan for your life. Whatever your gifts, whatever your abilities, God's plan for you is, a, is an internal plan, first and foremost. There's something he wants to do within your heart. He deals with you on the inside, and he wants to make you and mold you and to shape you and to, to cause you to be the man or the woman that he desires to be so that he can use you in the world around you. But you know, religion directs our attention to how we live on the outside, But God looks at our hearts. With Paul the Apostle, he was spreading the good news about freedom in Christ. That was his role in life. As a result of what Paul and Peter and John and James and the rest of them did, you and I have come to the knowledge of who God is. Because God used these men. The Holy Spirit used these men to write the Bible. And we read it, and we now have the knowledge of who God is. You know, and after we do, after we come to that place of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, we then can be Holy Spirit-led people. People that walk by faith, not by sight. And we walk by faith in the God of all creation. The Bible was authored by the Holy Spirit who used men to write it. Let's turn there and, and read that scripture. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we will begin reading in verse 19. So hopefully you've found it. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 19, it's right after the book of James, where we just were. You have 1 Peter, then 2 Peter. So 2 Peter 1, 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
So as we read and study the Bible, we do so knowing that it, it, that it is the very Word of God. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and it is one of my favorite verses. That's why you probably hear me quote it so much. But that's why Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. No other book on the face of the planet has that kind of power. And as we turn back now to Acts chapter 20, we see that not only is the Bible a powerful, an all-powerful spiritual book, but it's also a very factual book, very historical book. As we just read through the first three verses of, uh, you know, of Acts chapter 20 here, we see a lot of attention given to detail. It says they were headed to Macedonia, and they went to Greece, and then they were headed to Syria, but they got diverted by persecution to go to Macedonia again. You know, God has placed so many fine details in His Word, and for hundreds and hundreds of years now, man has been trying to disprove the Bible. But they cannot do it. All the geographical facts of the Bible are proven. All of these places mentioned here in this chapter either exist or have existed. And the reason I mention this is because there are so-called other holy books that are purely fictional. The locations mentioned in them do not exist, nor have they ever. But the Bible is very factual, very reliable. So when I teach the Bible... I teach it from a spiritual and a practical sense for the most part. That is how God gives it to me. But the Bible is also a very reliable, historical book as well. Any way, you know, any way you look at it, it's God's Word and it's truth. And it cannot be, nor will it ever be disproved. The Word of God lives and abides forever. It's a living word, and it'll always be there. And the reason I'm telling you all this is you can place your trust. You can build your life upon the word of God. And as we read this, we see Paul's travel itinerary. And you know, it's easy to question, why do I need to know all this? <laughs> why, why do I need to know that Paul went here, Paul went there? Well, like I said, God has a purpose. This is his word. He's got a purpose for it all. And as we go on here in verse 4 of Acts chapter 20, we'll see some even more details here. It says, And so Peter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Wow. Now, aren't you glad that I'm not going to do that? 
Well, those of you that are listening to this as a podcast obviously can just push the pause button or stop or turn me off. But Paul, he went on till midnight, it says here. Verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Now, here again, we see a very minute detail. There were many lamps in the room. It is believed that Luke is the one that wrote the book of Acts. He was a physician. God used men from various walks of life to write his word. But I wonder, though, you know, as as Luke gives detail to this fact, there were many lamps in the room. I wonder if all lamps, or excuse me, all the lamps in the room caused a lot of smoke, or they maybe they omitted a smell. And I wonder if that had anything to do with what we see happening next here in verse 9. It says, And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, let me say that uh, many people fall asleep in church <laughs> when there's no lamps burning, you know, or omitting a smell here. But something put this guy to sleep. Okay, It was either the stuffiness of the room, it was Paul's preaching, or this guy was just tired. He was probably sitting in the window, though, and maybe if there was gases and smell in the room, it was going out that way, who knows, but, but he was tired, and he fell down dead. I guess you could say he was dead tired. I don't know. Maybe that's where we get that phrase from. But verse 10 says, But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. So verse 9 there confirms for us that this young man was dead. Then Paul makes a statement that his life is in him. This must have been something that the Spirit showed Paul. We've seen these kind of miracles take place throughout the entire book of Acts. But beware, because if you fall asleep during this message while I'm speaking, there'll be nobody there to bring you back from the dead. (laughs) So pay attention. I'm just kind of kidding there. But verse 11 says, Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked for a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. This must have been a really cool time of fellowship. It was a sad time, though. Paul was long-winded because he knew this was the last time they were going to see each other. This was his farewell speech to them, and we'll see that as we read on here. It says in verse 13, Then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assas there, intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So the rest of the crew was taking the boat, and Paul was walking. He probably had a lot on his mind. He was heading to Jerusalem, and he had no idea what fate or what awaited him there, you know, what was going to take place in his life. And when he met at Assos, we took him on board, verse 14 says, and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. 
for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So Paul didn't want to stop in Ephesus because he knew it would take up too much time. But he did have the leaders of the church in Ephesus come and meet him at Miletus. And you know, God was in control of all of this. The Holy Spirit was leading Paul. He's making these plans. You know, I'm not going to stop at Ephesus. I'm just going to pass by. But this is all the Lord's timing. You know, I used the word a minute ago, what fate awaited him. There is no fate. It's all God's plan. It's all about what the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. And that's where our lives need to be, trusting in him completely, relying fully upon God for every step we take. But Paul here, he's about to pour out his heart to these elders, to these leaders of the church in Ephesus. And verse 18 says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul's life was not an easy life, but it was the life that Jesus promised he would have. Do you remember that? We studied it back in Acts chapter 9. Let's, let's go ahead and turn back there and take a look at this. Acts chapter 9. This is where we see the conversion of Paul. He was then called Saul, but he was determined to put an end to all the people that believed in Jesus. He received permission from the, 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 the leaders there to go to the city of Damascus and capture all the Christians and bring them back bound. But he had an encounter with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. Let's go ahead and pick up reading Acts chapter 9. And let's just go ahead and read the first 16 verses. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank, nor there was a certain or excuse me, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. 
So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the life that Paul lived was the life that the Lord promised he would have. Paul was a man with a very special calling. He would preach the gospel throughout the world, but as a result, he would suffer great persecution in his life. But as we flip back now to Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul held nothing back. He humbly served the Lord through many trials and many tribulations. That was Paul's lot in life. Look at verse 20 of Acts chapter 20. He says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see an insight here to what Paul's message was. His message was repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And that message hasn't changed today either. There is salvation no other way. We must repent to God for our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Paul gave his life preaching this message. Verse 22, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. Wow. What a powerful verse that is, verse 24 there. I want to read that again. He says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul suffered great persecution. Many troubled Paul. And in our lives, we, we come upon persecution. We come upon tribulation. We have things happen in our lives that, that uh, we don't quite understand and, and things that happen that maybe we thought wouldn't happen in a million years. And sometimes we get knocked off of our feet. But you know, I have found in my life that God uses those times to bring us back to that place to be focused on the things that he wants us to be focused on. You know, sometimes you can be focused on what you think is a good thing, 
but it's not a God thing. It's not where the Lord has you. And Paul, he had that attitude that said, none of these things move me. He's saying, this is not about me. Hey, I've got this ministry, I've got this calling, and I'm pressing on in it. And that's the attitude that as followers of Jesus Christ, as ministers of the gospel, those of you listening out there that that preach the gospel, you teach the word, you got to press on. There will be things that knock you down. Sometimes things come from places you never, like I said, you never anticipated. But God is in control. He, he has a plan and he has a purpose. I've, had, I've been knocked off my feet before, totally blindsided by things, but God has restored and God has done new things and, and done wonderful works through the ministry that he's given to me. But you know, Paul, he, he pressed on knowing that he had to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And there's no greater message that has ever been proclaimed than the gospel of the grace of God. It's the message that every person in this world needs to hear. It's the message that we, as servants of Jesus Christ, need to preach. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 3. Okay? We're speaking, um, you know, this just comes to mind here as we uh, talk about this great message the gospel of the grace of God. And these are very familiar verses. I'm sure some of you can recite these verses by heart, but this is the greatest message known to man. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Paul devoted his life to preaching this message. Salvation in Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the message of the grace of God. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 20. Picking up again in verse 25. And indeed... Paul goes on speaking here, And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Remember I said earlier, this was his farewell speech, you know, that he's given to these people. He's sad, he's moving on. Therefore, verse 26, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What does that mean? Well, 
Paul preached the gospel everywhere he went. And people that Paul came upon, they heard the gospel. And if they died rejecting the Lord, it wasn't Paul's fault. He gave them the message of the grace of God. He made sure that everyone he came in contact with heard the gospel. And not all of them did receive it. Some of them hardened their hearts to it, but he did preach it. Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It's very important that you know the whole counsel of God. Many men, many women pull scriptures out and create religions. Many men, many women pull scriptures out and create doctrines out of it. But you must study the whole counsel of the word of God. Verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Paul has called all these church leaders together, and he's exhorting them to teach the whole counsel of the word of God and to be diligent in taking care of the people that God has given him to watch over. That's what the ministry is about. The ministry is about people, taking care of people. Too many church leaders today, it's unfortunate, but they have fallen into it being about their buildings, it being about their property, and putting more into their property, when yet around them people are spiritually dying, or people are being offended, or different things are happening, and the pastors aren't caring for the flock like they should. They're not watching over the flock. You know, fancy buildings with a lot of foo-foo activities means nothing. You could have all the programs. You could have all the things for your men's ministry, all these things for your women's ministry, whatever it may be. But if people aren't growing spiritually, if people aren't being saved, if people aren't hearing the message of the gospel of grace, then what's it worth? It's what shall it profit if a man gains the whole world, but yet loses his soul. And the church should not be a place where people come to have social activities. It should be a place where we come to gather and to hear the whole counsel of the Word of God and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then go out and affect the world around us with the grace of God. You see, the Lord Jesus purchased us with his blood. And Paul is warning these elders to the fact that the people belong to Jesus and that they need to be careful with how they deal with these people. Like I said, it's a sad thing. But in many cases, pastors fall into a trap, elders fall into a trap that the people belong to them. They got to keep them coming to their church and, hey, this is my church and this is my territory and you can't have a church within my territory. If you have a church within my territory, we got to get you shut down and we're going to browbeat you till we do shut you down. That kind of stuff exists. It's unfortunate. It exists. But what it's all about is Jesus. So those of you listening, listening out here that you may be one of those kind of people that say, oh, church is full of hypocrites. I agree with you. And if you come, you'll be one more hypocrite there. You know? But it's not about us. It's not about the man. It's not about the woman. It's about Jesus. 
It's not about what we do. It's not about our programs, how we make our buildings look. It's about Jesus. And all people need their eyes directed to Jesus. Because only He, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. Only He can set us free. And that's what the Bible's all about. And that is what Paul devoted his life to. See, at first, he was persecuting Jesus. He was kicking against the goads, but he had an encounter with Jesus and his life would never be the same. And now he would spend the rest of his life proclaiming the name above all names, Jesus Christ. And that's what those of you who are listening, because I know some of you listened, listening haven't received Jesus Christ. I know there are some of you listening that have. Others of you are teachers of the word yourself, I happen to know. But, you know, here's the thing. It's got to be all about Jesus. Otherwise, it means nothing. I know I'm being redundant with that point, but there is no greater point. Jesus, Jesus, and more Jesus. So let's move on. Verse 29. Paul goes on to say, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. You know, the Bible is a very practical and a very instructional book. You've heard me mention it several times before, but the Bible is the living word. It's alive and it's very beneficial for us on the earth today. And Paul here is telling the leaders of the church at Ephesus that people will come into the church with bad motives. And this kind of thing still takes place today. There are pastors today that have used the ministry to fulfill their own desires, building their own kingdoms and not paying any attention to the spiritual needs of people. The Bible here gives a stern warning to elders to properly feed the people the whole counsel of the Word of God. And verse 31 goes on, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Notice there that Paul does not commend them to be followers of his or to be followers of a church, but rather he commends them to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build them up and to give them an inheritance, to give us an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is where we all need to direct our attention. The elders of the church should not be claiming people as their own and worrying whether they leave their church and go somewhere else. Instead, they just need to watch out for the spiritual condition of the people that are before them. The Holy Spirit is in control of the lives of believers, and He will lead them where they need to be. Many people grow stagnant Staying in one place when the Holy Spirit is prompting them to move on and do something else. You know, I have encouraged the people that come to our Bible studies here to, hey, 
The Lord tells you to go somewhere else, get up and go. Get up and get out of here. Go someplace else. Do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Don't sit still. We need to be Holy Spirit-led people. You know, but too many churches today are having turf wars. Churches have adopted, in many cases, a gang-like mentality and are even performing drive-by shootings on other pastors. I don't mean that literally, but they're looking to, to knock other pastors down and close other churches just to keep their territory safe to them. What I really see a movement of the Holy Spirit that is calling people back to simply trusting and relying in, on Jesus Christ, that personal relationship with Jesus. People are becoming disenchanted with the mundaneness of church and are turning again to the living God. I've met several people over the last several months that are looking for more. They feel spiritually dry. And you know, there's a lot of good churches out there teaching the Word of God. There's a lot of good pastors out there that are doing good things and doing what is right. But you know, that's not what it's about. We need fellowship. We need to gather. You should be going to a church. You should find a good church in your area. But your relationship is not built upon that church, your relationship with Jesus. It's between you and Him. The Holy Spirit that He gives, that indwells you, He's the one that leads you into all truth, not your pastor. Pastor, make sure that you're going in the direction that you should be going, or at least He should. That's where all of His attention should be on leading you to Jesus and keeping you on that proper path. But your relationship with Jesus is one-on-one. -on -one. It's between you and Him. And the reason I point all this out is it's, it's very easy to fall into a trap of your relationship is with the church and you're not hearing from Jesus. You're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. You're feeling dry. Well, maybe you need to turn back to that place of your first love. Think about when you were born again. Think about what took place in your heart, how your eyes were opened. And think about how you were just enamored with Jesus and with his love. We're never to leave there. That's where God wants us. But Paul was careful not to use people to build his own kingdom. Look at verse 33. He says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. So Paul worked with his own hands and provided not only for his own needs, but also for the needs of those that were with him. You don't see this too much in the modern day church. In many ways, it, it seems sad, but it seems that uh, some people have an attitude about churches that say all they want is your money. And in many cases, it's, I have to admit it's true. They covet your silver and your gold so they can pour it into their own desires, their own kingdom, you know. But that's not what it's all about. We're reading the Word of God right here, right? We're seeing. This isn't it. So you can say what you want about churches. You can say what you want about pastors. 
But what has Jesus done? I'm speaking to some of you right now that say, eh, I don't need that. I don't need religion. I don't need this, that, or the other thing. Well, what has Jesus done for you? Oh, I've been hurt by church. Well, what has Jesus done to you? Well, you know that pastor did this. Well, what has Jesus done to you? Nothing. He's done nothing to harm you. He's done everything good for you. He commended his love. God commended his love that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus gave his life to you. So those of you that shun God by shunning a church because a church you think is hypocritical or a church has done you wrong, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. And I'm sure many pastors would agree, echo exactly what I'm saying. It's about Jesus. Turn to Jesus. He's the author. He's the finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on him. We have no excuse. Yes, it's unfortunate. Many Christians have given Jesus a bad name by the way they live their lives. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, is the name of Jesus could not possibly be a bad name because there is no other name. And, and it's the name above all names. And he loves you. Jesus loves you. Verse 35, Paul goes on to say, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul worked so that he could support the weak and give to others who were in need. And he quotes Jesus there as being the one that told us to give. Then he goes on in verse 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So this was a very sad and emotional time. They had labored together for the sake of the gospel for many years now. They loved one another and were not too proud to show it. This also was the way of the Lord Jesus, who called us to love one another. As followers of Jesus Christ, compassion must rule and reign in our hearts and in our actions toward one another. We need to humble ourselves and break the bands of self-righteousness, and religious rigidness. The walls of pretension are rooted deep in pride. What do I mean by that? It's easy to put yourself in a position where you say, well, and he's speaking to, Paul was speaking to these elders here and encouraging them. It's easy to put yourself in a position where you got to be above everyone else and everyone has to see you as strong. But you know, What's strange about that? Jesus said that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And you know what it is that keeps people thinking they have to appear strong to everyone else is pride. But when we're broken, when we're compassionate, when we're soft-hearted, we can reach people with that love. We are all flesh and blood. And we all experience pain and heartache depression, you name it. And hiding this fact only makes you unapproachable and of no use in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus wept, and you will weep. Jesus was a man of sorrows, but he was the most loving and compassionate man that has ever walked this earth. Let's close tonight, or let's close this podcast here, I should say, by looking at one last scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Actually, it's more than one scripture we'll read. Romans chapter 12. And we'll start reading um, in verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The life of Paul, the apostle, was a life of trials, tribulation, and persecution. But he overcame it all with faith, hope, and love. But he himself stated that the greatest of these is love. That's what we are to be known as people of love. God is love. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is love. He gives us his love and his grace. That's the message we receive. That's the message we have to preach. And it's the life that we have to live, a life of love, a life of compassion. And then others see that. And they want to know, hey, what is the reason for this hope that you have within you? And you point them to Jesus. And you say, he's the reason. He's my hope. He is my all in all. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, once again we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, again for all of our hearts that you will continue the work that you have begun, the good work that you have begun within us, that you will be faithful to complete it. We pray your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for your will to be done in our lives, Lord. Blessed be your holy name, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless, guys. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Give us a, send us an email if you have any questions, drop us a line, whatever. We enjoy hearing from you and um, thank you for listening. We'll see you.